In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, well, baseball isn't boring, and one person that has absolutely made it that way um, ever since I've known him. I guess we just figured out this is 2004, almost yeah. 18, 18, almost 19 years uh, when you were back with the Blue Jays, Alex Anthopoulos, GM of the Atlanta Braves, obviously. And um, Alex, first of all, how are you? Everything good? Great. Everything's great. Glad to be on. Yeah, I saw you trucking around Montreal, you know. Yeah, almost. totally. <laughs> Toronto, just it was... Um, at my in-laws and there's not a lot of room there and we got a lot of nieces nephews cousins uh brother-in-law sister-in-law so i had to do everything out of my car really so it's just yeah just even work so there's nowhere to work it's an 1800 square foot house and 10 people in there and uh, we have a place across the street but it, we were doing some work on it wasn't ready so we all piled into my in-laws and it was a tough uh two and a half weeks just not a lot of space <laughs> So, so I literally, just got in the so car and did my zooms. The Atlanta Braves were being run out of your car for two and a half. Pretty much, years. yeah. I would just be like, no, I didn't. wasn't gonna. You know, we have kids running around and this and that. So it was the only place I could make phone calls and, and do everything and just have quiet and not have to interrupt anybody. Well, listen, you've always been one of the best, and and uh, I always enjoy talking with you. I appreciate you coming on, and I'm really happy for your success. And every you. time you succeed, I'm. I'm I'm grateful uh, that you know of you know going back like I said always seeing you come up through the Blue Jays and obviously what you're doing now it's awesome and so you know there's a lot to get through like there's you know some of the things that we've talked about in the past some of the things that's going on you know one of the things that jumps to mind and, and I, I you should get five dollars every time I mention this because I always I remember we did a interview. A few years ago, Batista and Canarsion. It was the Batista and Canarsion years, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you said, and you were saying, listen, we got this window. We got this, <laughs> we got yeah. this window. And, and so we're going to try to take advantage of it. And that's what you did. And, um, and I just thought it was sort of refreshing to, to actually for you to say, we got this window. That's it. Like we know, like the impactful guys that we have, we know that we're going to probably have to turn over the roster. Looking back at that time when you have that situation, it, is it what, what? How do you view that? Do you view view it any differently than you do now, or do you say, okay, that that made a lot of sense? Yeah, look, I, I look back all the time. I think it's important, right? Especially on things that you wish you had done differently, and so on. But um, you know, you're shaped by your experiences, right? So I get to Toronto, and 2004 season is my first year there. It was Carlos Delgado's last year. Uh, we were limited with what our payroll was, and I was scouting coordinator, so wasn't involved with the roster. And so on, JP Richardi was the GM, and you know, he was the GM at the time when 
the Red Sox and the Yankees were just dominating the sport, right? You didn't have expanded playoffs and so on. No, and by the by the way, a year, just a year away from being in Chasing Steinbrenner, Cold Cold Yeah, Classic, exactly. Fall, I could have been fall. in that book. That's you right. could have been in the book. You could have been in the book. Um, I mean, you, but, who, you know, but then again, you also missed Tanyan Sturts being the number three starter. So there you go. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Mike Bordick, the starting shortstop. <laughs> that's right. right. That's right. Mike yeah. Myers, starter behind the plate. Oh man, I could I could go through the listen. The and Claude I wasn't Rains, there, but I just heard about it. The Claude Rains project falling around Aaron Hill. You know, so uh, oh yeah, yeah. So. No, and they when you look back, I mean, the work that they had expanded playoffs back then. If payrolls had been where they are today, when I left Toronto with the today, I think it'd be very different. I think. Um, JP would have oversaw a bunch of playoff runs. You know, he had some great rosters and teams, and he made do with what he had. But, you know, I remember at the time, I think Carlos Delgado was making like 60% of the payroll, 40% of the payroll, and it's just, it's impossible to be successful and spread the money around and so on. So, you know, he left in free agency, but, you know, for me, he was a Hall of Fame player. I know he didn't get past the first vote, but I mean, it, I think part of it is because of where he played. But if you look at the numbers, you know, based. He's a Hall of Fame player. He loved being in Toronto. Financially, it wasn't going to work to be able to keep him. Um, and then I look at Roy Halladay. You know, again, we just it was bad timing of no expanded playoffs, limited with the, with the payroll, Yankees and Red Sox just being at the top of their game um, and not being able to sneak in the playoffs. And it's like, well, we talked about, you know, you're talking about Carlos Delgado and the moments to talk about with him or get four home runs in a game. You know, he should have won the MVP, in my opinion, for one year. Talk about Roy Halladay, you talk about you want to Cy Young with, with Toronto Blue Jays. So now you fast forward and you get Batista Encarnacion, and they had great individual accolades as well. Sure. What comes to mind when I say the names, bat flip Batista, walk off homer, Edwin Encarnacion, <laughs> and Baldo Jimenez. Playoffs. You know, I think of Halladay, I think of um, his playoff performances with, with the Phillies, right? Obviously, Hall of Famer, great, and so on. But for me, it's just, I look back and you get these rare opportunities to get these elite players and they're remembered and the memories they bring in my mind to fan bases are playoffs, you know, moments in the playoffs. I think of Ortiz and I think of amazing things, but I think of that big homer of off Joaquin Benoit. I'm sure there's a million David Ortiz things. Oh, no, no, you're right. Yeah. That's one of the first things that comes to my mind. And I was incredible. I saw him crush the Blue Jays for years, him and Manny back to back and so on. So, um, that stuck out to me. And look, when I got the job, we were going to go into a rebuild, trade holiday. We did not. Jose Batista wasn't Jose Batista yet. Then all of a sudden, after my first year, Jose Batista has a monster year. He's a year away from free agency. And it's like, well, we weren't planning on this. You know, like we have a guy who looks like he could be a core player at 29 or 30, which is very odd. Had a 54 home run season. And what are we doing? We're, we're rebuilding. We're going to just scrap the, the rebuild and sign this guy long term are we going to trade him with a year left on his deal um is it real or not we didn't know and we buy into it or not so we ultimately made the decision to sign him but it was a tough decision and it wasn't when we did the deal it worked out for the club but we didn't high five or think wow we're we feel great about it i remember a few days later driving to the ballpark thinking and i just made a huge mistake it was 65 million dollars a lot of money back then it's a big commitment i think Someone had said no one had made more money off of one, one season. And it was scary because he was going to be older. And uh, but that ultimately propelled us to start contending sooner than we thought we would. Then Encarnacion emerges in the same way. You know, he was an afterthought when, when, when JP acquired him in the Scott Rowland deal. Zach Stewart was the centerpiece of the deal. Edwin Encarnacion was brought in to offset salaries. And then he emerges. You know, 
and again, I can't equate everything to the AL East, but you know, the way Carlos Pena emerged for the Rays or Ortiz emerged for the Red Sox. Remember when Ortiz was signed, right? It was Doug Minkiewicz. Oh, was oh yeah, no, it's, uh, it third guy, I, I'll right? give you the guys, Brad Fulmer and Craig right, Colburn. Three guys competing. Yeah, right. For right. First base, right? And then Jeremy he emerged. Giambi, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he became exactly Giambi, and he became a great player, and he became a core piece. So Edwin Encarnacion, that wasn't a thought, and then all of a sudden he became a core piece, and we decided to sign him. So you're sitting there, and you're like, wow, we have these guys, these middle-of-the-order bats, these elite hitters, and they're hard to get. We've signed them now. They're under control. Let's try to move this thing forward and, and get it over the hump. So, um, you know, I, I look back at the Halliday years and the Delgado years, and it was like, I thought it was a shame that we don't we don't have any playoff moments to talk about with those guys. So that shaped a lot of my thought process at the time. And, um, you know, to this day, I love the fact that when I was part of that org- organization, I was part of the, the bat flip. Small part. I was there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't there for Encarnacion. I had left. But 2016, you know, I was part of him staying in Toronto. So, you know, JP was part of bringing – JP's the one who brought b- both guys to Toronto, right? He brought Batista. He brought Encarnacion. So, but knowing you're a part of um, a moment that fans will remember forever, that's what sports are about, you know? So – um, it definitely shapes your experiences and so on. And, you know, again, it's, I don't believe in going all in, trying to be competitive year in and year out. I do believe you owe it to a certain core and a certain group of players that to try to get in and try to make a run because you don't, you're not guaranteed that that core is around four years from now or that they're healthier, that, that they're performing. We can go through so many players where things have changed. So you know, people that talk about five-year plans and six-year plans and so on, it's just too hard. I mean, I, when I'm looking at things, I'm looking really for sure in a two-year window, and and I'll probably look as far out as three. We've signed guys for longer than that, but you know, really, I'm operating on a three-year basis for the most part at all times because that is at least it's easier to manage and to handle. So I'm not looking that far ahead because I know things will change with guys getting hurt and guys not performing. Well, I mean that and that obviously segues into like how you're approaching things now, and you. A lot of uh, kudos and rightfully so for the extensions that you signed. I don't know if if we can. There's a correlation here between saying you you had mentioned you know Delgado, you mentioned Halliday, you mentioned signing those guys. You don't want to get to that point where you have to make that uncomfortable decision about turning over a roster. So yeah. I don't I don't know. And obviously, like it's it, and every GM will tell you that in in a perfect world we get we lock up our main guy for a long time. But do you look at it from, like you said at the beginning, lessons learned of like feeling, okay, you know what? This is something that maybe I, I prioritize now more than even I prioritize in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, we prioritize in Toronto. We signed Aaron Hill to an extension and Adam Lind and Romero and Morrow. Um, trying to think if anybody else comes to mind. But we did some extensions. And look, they all didn't work out, right? Romero got hurt. Morrow got hurt. Lind was a good player. Um he ultimately got traded. Aaron Hill was a good player. Ultimately had a down year and got traded. So they didn't all work out, but we definitely tried to keep players and keep them around long, long term. Um, you know, I think, look, in an ideal world, you would wait as long as possible because we've seen it. We've seen guys win MVPs get non-tendered. Guys be all-stars and all of a sudden they're not the same two years later. Uh, look, we have examples for Mus. Soroka's in the Cy Young conversation. He has missed the last two seasons. Um, really, and then part of 2020, the shortened season, so almost three. Um, and it just, three things have happened. And Ronald Acuna 
So on his way to what I thought he was going to win the MVP in 21, uh, he gets hurt, and he, he missed time, and he wasn't the same player last year. Hopefully he'll get back to that. But you just don't know, right, that guys are going to – you know, the Hall of Famers are the ones that are elite year in and year out, and we take it for granted how hard it is to do that. But um, we definitely have taken an approach of being more aggressive and doing it early, and there's a trade-off, right? You're taking on more risk in doing that because guys get hurt, guys don't perform things change. We don't have as much information on their performance and their health. And you just see the turnover across the game. So in an ideal world, you'd wait a year before free agency or right after free agency and sign mm-hmm. these guys. But at that point, it's you it's lose your harder. leverage. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot harder. These guys are close. They've earned that right. They played year to year. They've earned that right to see, see what's out there. Um, so you're taking on a lot more risk when you're doing it early, but um, you know, I see how well the business side of the operation here is run. The battery, the surrounding area in Atlanta, uh, the mixed-use development is phenomenal if anyone hasn't been out here. The ballpark's brand new. It's a great environment. Um, and, look, we have to have a competitive team for these guys to want to stay. So right now we do have a competitive team. So they want to stay, and we're trying to ensure that it stays competitive. I've said this in a few interviews. I think subconsciously, growing up a Montreal Expos fan, growing up in Montreal, um, you know, I remember where I was when Delano Shields got traded. And you know, if you were Charlie, would tell me that all the time. I remember where I was when Delano got traded. I was upset, and he got you know you got Pedro Martinez in that deal. Um, I remember where I was when Pedro Martinez got traded. You know, for Armas and Carl, Carl Pavano, and and um, you know I, that was such a great young team, and it was tough that we couldn't keep those, those guys. And I look at Atlanta, the market, what we're capable of. I don't. You know, one, we're doing it for the right reasons that we think these are good players and they're going to maintain, they're going to continue to be good players. But also, I think it's important for the fan base as well, um, for continuity, that you buy a jersey, you know, you're going to, you're going to have the player here for a while. And um, these are great young players and are trying to keep this core around. And you don't want to be faced with a decision to have the trade guys two or three years before free agency to get value. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. It's hard to find these, these players. So, it doesn't mean you're going to sign them all. It doesn't mean that you can sign them all, right? It doesn't work financially to sign 20, you know, realistically, you're not going to have 26 elite players. But even if you did, you're not going to be able to afford to sign 26 guys and have a payroll that may- makes sense, at least for us. So you have tough decisions to make, but if you have young talent that you can give an opportunity to, you're going to look to do that and keep as many guys as you can. Did you have a DeShields jersey? What jersey did? did no, I didn't have a jersey, but, you know, I didn't buy jerseys. But you're a poster then. guy? Yeah, I'd have posters, cards. I mean, I was big into the numbers back then. I was getting the, the Bill James books delivered to my house in Montreal and so on. And um, you, know, you couldn't watch the Expos on TV much. They weren't on that much, right? So I would get them when the, we'd have uh, we had a satellite, so we'd get the Cubs. And when they paid the Cubs on, on the WGN, when they played, played the Braves on, T, on TBS, yep. I'd get as many Montreal Expos games as I could. Um, you had basically the... Uh, the arm, the ESPN arm in Canada's TSN that had their spring training report and you'd get 20 minutes or so and get little clips of guys throwing bullpens and so on. But I was starved for any baseball information <laughs> that I could get. You know, the internet back then is not as important. Talk radio is a big deal. Um, but, you know, a winning club really got me into baseball. I wasn't a rabid baseball fan until 1992. And that's when Felipe Alou came aboard and the Expos really started to contend. Prior to that, I liked baseball. I didn't love it. And I got the bug with a winning team. And I do think that's important as well. I saw it in Toronto 2015. We finally get back to the postseason. And I hear from people that people became fans that year. And hopefully with the Braves these last few years, that World Series run, 
more people became fans. And I know that we had former players at the Blue Jays saying that, you know, in the in the glory days when they won back to back World Series, there was a lot of fans created there as well. So mm-hmm. um, there's just a lot of value to all that across the board. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you said that, and I think it's an important thing. We've been talking a lot about. You know, and it's a simplistic way to look at it, but you said it, putting the name, the names on the back of these jerseys the kid wear, who do they want to buy? And I, the story I remember was um, when Nomar was traded, there was uh, somebody I know, his little kid said, oh, okay, well, you don't, you, you don't have the Nomar poster anymore. Who do you want? He's like, I want Ted Williams. Like, why do you want Ted Williams? Because I know he's not going to get traded. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, right. but that's a, that's a type of thing. So, you know, and, and so that's great. I mean, it's honestly, it's great. It's a, and we, I know it's been talked a lot about this offseason, about these extensions, but for you, and you cited some of the ones in Toronto, for you, do you, in simplistic terms, are you better at it? Like another, there's an, there must be a little bit of an art to it, not only in terms of the timing, but in terms of approach, in terms of selling them, because that has to be part of it, right? I mean, I'm not selling in a bad way, in a malicious way, or in a, in a you know, a roundabout way, but it's just in, in terms of saying, hey, this is why this is good for you to make these guys understand because, Alex, we've seen it. I mean, we've this has changed. It's really gone like about five or six years ago. I think it was a lot harder to do these things because maybe players were digging in. Have you got better at it? No, I, look, I think there's a combination of things. So I remember 2015 um, being in Toronto and Josh Donaldson's on his way to winning the MVP. And we were playing well. We were second half of the season after trade deadline in August, September. And I remember just having a conversation with him. You know, there was a lot of talk about getting players to Canada and there's no ESPN and this and that. And I said, you know, what do you what do you make about all this stuff? You know, because JP Richardi was successful signing big time free agents to come to Toronto. And mm. the years before that, Pat Gillick and Paul Beeston were signing elite free agents, right? Jack Morris, Dave Stewart. Yeah, and with uh, you know, they were signing Clemens. Yeah, Burnett and BJ Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Right. So guys guys were going, right? But there was this thought process that maybe they didn't want to come and so on. And I asked them, I said, you know, what is it and what can we do better as an organization? How do we and we felt really good about the team, the clubhouse David Price had come over. He he loved being there, he really enjoyed it. So I was feeling good about where we were as an organization at the time. And I remember asking him, like, what do you think if there's a knock? He goes, you hadn't won. Because if you start winning, you know, that ultimately takes care of it. And I think back to all these different cities and markets that have had, had success bringing players in, it's when they're winning. You know, so, like, look, it's not a coincidence that, you know, we're signing guys when we're in a position that we've won. We've made, made the playoffs the last few years. And we have a new ballpark, a great facility. Atlanta's a very desirable place to play. Um, you know, I think our support staff does a very good job, but I do think winning's a big part of it. Now, if we were perennially under 500 or 100 lost team three years in a row, um, maybe you know it wouldn't be the same thing. But um, I know you know Roy Halladay said this at the time. You know, we had to trade him, but he said, you know, for him, free agency was about choosing where you want to play. And we are in a position currently that we have a good club. And I think of what Josh Donaldson said at the time is, I haven't had a player come out and tell me this is exactly the reason. I mean, look, there's we can go through examples of guys that have gotten hurt or haven't played as well as we thought they were, they were going to play and got themselves guaranteed money and so on. And look, we've given out some big contracts as well. Austin Riley's deal is the biggest contract in the history of the Braves. Braves has been around a long time, had a lot of great players. Never done a $200 million deal before. We did it for him three and a half years away from free agency. You know, and he loves being here. Matt Olson's second highest uh, guarantee in the history of the Braves. Um, you know, and they were done in the same year. So, uh, 
we're still giving out strong contracts. Now, the other guys that are smaller deals, they're young enough that they're going to get a second contract, right? So the Albies, Acuna, Harris, Strider, uh, you know, there's two types of contracts. One that's going to take you through your prime, probably your mid-30s and so on. And then the other one where you're going to get a second deal. So Olsen and Riley is their one big deal, right? That's going to take you through the age of 35. That's their one big deal. So, um, and then you got other guys that are doing deals at 21, 22, and they'll get a second. So um, it all depends, you know, with Riley, we talked about a shorter deal. And then we talked about a long deal. and We ultimately came to an agreement. But, um, you know, again, they get to what I believe is their first choice. They get to stay in their first choice of where they want to be. Um, so, look, I don't think there's anything I know. I don't think there's anything more to it than that. We're also doing it really early, right? Mm. At the time we did his deal, it was six years away from free agency. It's the biggest guaranteed contract in the history of the game for a guy with less than a year of service time. I think Eloy Jimenez was the highest at $43 million at the time. Then you got a $100 million deal. Trout had gotten a $144 million deal, I think, at the time with two years of service, if I remember correctly. But again, the contracts have moved and things have changed. Um, you know, Strider and Harris are six years away from free agency when we're doing their, their deal, right? We're still far away. We have those guys, no matter what, for the next six years, whether they want to be here or not. So um, we're doing them a lot earlier than we would have. You know, and most times we wait until guys are a year out or two years out. And I think that's the biggest change. We're just doing it, and we're taking on a lot more risk in doing that. So, look, we'll find out if it works. I hope so. I mean, I know all parties want that. Players want to play well and have success. Club certainly wants that. But we understand. I've said this. No one plans on having a bad year. No one plans on being hurt. It happens. We're human beings. So um, there, there's a trade-off there. We're certainly sharing risk. And hopefully we want these to work out for both sides. The guys are performing well. You remember the, so obviously I've never sat in your seat. I don't know what it's like to be a GM. I don't know what it's like to be a player who's getting signed to an extension. Um, but I'm kind of curious. Do you remember the first time, like Acuna, right? Oh, you said really, really early, really crazy early. like who? It, yeah, much it, earlier than I'd ever done. And it was scary. It's like, why don't we wait a little bit? You well, know? that's my that's my question. Is so, are you said, how does this work? I, I I want to identify the first time that you remember you're sitting over some wings or maybe some poutine. I don't know or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or ketchup right. flavored. No stereotypes. Uh, but, right. No, well, I, mean, I don't know. You're just in Montreal. I mean, they, someone told me they have ketchup flavored p- potato chips. It sounds oh, they're just, unbelievable. Oh, oh, come on, ketchup chips. I'm telling you, come on, they're incredible. They're incredible. Stick just, with me. Stick listen. with me. I know I just, your, your face just went. No, man. Out. Forget, forget the thought about it. Let me ask you something. You eat <laughs> potatoes and you eat, when you combine them, it's not crazy. It's the thought of chips going with it. Give it a shot. It'll change your life. All right. You just, of all the great decisions you've made this offseason, I, I just uh, started rethinking every single I'm gonna one. Say, of them. I'm going to send you a bag. All right. All right. Fair enough. All right. Um, so I apologize for stereotyping. Or you're sitting no, over. You're 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 um you're sitting at whatever in Atlanta, and you're eating something with a couple of bodies, and you turn to someone and said, "Hey, you know barbecue. what? Barbecue. Barbecue. Okay. No stereotypes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're the poutine like, in we, Quebec. We, 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 we keep, <laughs> the barbecue. We keep, we keep the, the barbecue in Atlanta. We keep, stum- we keep stumbling. We keep stumbling. I'll have some chowder when I'm in New England. Uh, well, exactly. So maybe maybe it happened there, but you turn to someone. Uh, one of your trusted uh, uh, co-workers and said, you know what, you know, I think it's, maybe we should talk to Acuna. Like and they said, what, what are you crazy? It's super early. What are you doing? Uh, do you remember that first conversation that you had 
when it, when uh, that was hatched? Yeah, I think it was um, spring training. Okay. Um, I think it was spring training of 19. I think we signed them in April of 19. So I think spring training, um, maybe it was, I don't think he was having, you know, I think, yeah, because we, right, he had, we had called him up. He had a great year. Um, you know, scuffled early on. Then, you know, he was good, not great. If people look, he actually made a pretty significant swing change um, at the All-Star break. So with, with his bat, and he changed his bat, was more on his shoulder. He changed it to more of a, an upright bat position uh, right around the All-Star break. And he really, you know, emerged because he was striking out quite a bit. And he was still good. But he wasn't as good a hitter as he was the last two months of the season. Carried that into a very short series against LA, but he played well. Had a big grand slam off of Bueller. Um, but I think maybe sometime in in spring training was maybe the first time we just we have a lot of time in spring training, right? You're together with the group. You sure do. The games you sure don't, do. Yeah, the games don't mean anything. Um, that's a lot of time when I think teams start thinking about extensions and contracts, and you know because there's it's a it's a very relaxed environment. You can have good conversations. A lot of your staff is there together. You can talk to people and so on. Um, but that's probably the first time maybe we talked about it. But we had just seen him play so well for three or three months or, well, really the last two months of the season. Um, but, again, I had never given out a contract of $100 million before as a GM. Certainly not for a guy with less than a year of service. It certainly hadn't been done in, in the game. Um and again, you know, we were looking at if he is Mike Trout or guys like that. They're, I think he had got again 140 or 144 million dollars as two years of service, or maybe three at arbitration eligible. Mm. Um, but he was so dynamic, and I remember saying this at the time. I just come from LA, where I had watched Corey Seager come up and play exceptionally well. I'd watched Cody Bellinger come up and play exceptionally well, back to back years, 2016, 2017. Um, even though Seager came up at the end of 2015. His first full season was 16, Bellinger 17 as well. And, I, you know, it's a game of comparisons. That's basically what scouting sure. is. Yeah, yeah. And, and you could look at the data and everything. But And as good as those two were, and they, they were great, Acuna at the time looked better. You know, and that's saying a lot, right, because those guys are elite players even to this day. So I think it was just one of those things that, wow, I've never seen someone this good, this talented, this young. But we did the same thing with Strider. Yeah. You know, it's, it's scary to sign starters early like like that but i've been in baseball since 2000 i've never seen it you know i've never seen the total package of stuff makeup work ethic he broke randy johnson's strikeout record as a 20 23 year old you know i mean it's just you don't see it very often so maybe in, don't overcomplicate things you know I've, I've seen enough players and been around and you're buying the person and you believe in the work ethic. Sure, so yeah, yeah. you can never guarantee help but Wow, this guy is so exceptional, so talented, so good. Um, if we can get it done now, why don't we go ahead and try to get it done and avoid so, arbitration and all that stuff? So there's a couple of ways that you can approach it. I would imagine the, the common way is to go through the agent. Um, but I always have this story. I love this story. Beckett, Josh Beckett told this story about they were in Tampa in uh, his first year of the Red Sox. He had a five ERA in July. And, wow. and yeah, if I mean, July, like, I remember and, he got extended. That's right. Well, so what happens at five ERA, Terry Francona walks out to him during BP and says, Hey, you'd be interested in signing extension. And he's sitting there, you know, with a bad MRI, you know, with, uh, you know, this five ERA. And it was, yeah, of course. 
You know, of course. So my point is, is that Terry Francona walked out and said, hey, we would be interested in extension. I don't know if if you guys do this. I'm not saying negotiating, but I'm saying, do you say, hey, you know, would you be interested in what their reaction is? Would it be like, oh, my goodness? Because another thing I always remember is Mookie Betts telling me, saying, of all the times the Red Sox trying to extend them, the most difficult time to turn it down, not even a question, was the first time because you've never seen that amount of money. So uh, I don't know how that worked for you if you got a yeah, chance to talk I, to I, them. I think the way I view this stuff is um, it's something you have to want to do, right? Because ultimately the goal is for it to not blow up in anyone's face, right? You don't, you're not looking for it to be a terrible club deal where a guy gets hurt, guy's not performing. No one's life is good at that point, right? The GM's being criticized. You know, the team's not as good because the player's not performing. Player's life isn't probably great either. Sure, he's got the guaranteed money, but fans are probably on him, expectations, media. So, you know, to me, it depends the way you're wired, right? Some people want to go year to year. Um, they want to get to free agency, and that's there's, they've earned that, right? So I view it as uh, it's a player-specific thing, and some players just don't have any interest in doing it, and that's completely fine. But we've got player for six years one way or the other you know now if they win awards now with the way the cba has changed they could be five but still it's a long period of time so if ultimately a player chooses they want to go year to year um and you know get the free agency and like roy Halliday they said choose where they want to play that's completely fine but i think you know some players if it's early enough choose they they do want to stay you know they do want to be in a certain place so i, I just think it's a uh, it's not, i don't think it's all that complicated in terms of if a player wants to do it, then you have a window to get the deal done. Some players just don't have any interest in it, right? They just they want to go year to year. They want to get to free agency, and that's completely their right. So just like everything else, um, I don't think it's any more complicated than that um, because, you know, maybe someone's from a East Coast or the, mm. the West Coast or they have family or maybe the club they're on is not a competitive team. And you know what? They say, I want an opportunity to go to a competitive team. Um Maybe they're a reliever and they want to be a starter and they want to get an opportunity somewhere else. Maybe they're unhappy in a certain city for whatever reason, or their family's not happy in a certain city. So um, it's really unique for every player. Um, and I just don't think it's always exactly about the dollars. There's a combination of it, right? Especially if you talk about signing long-term. I think ultimately you have to be willing and you have to want to stay there. And some guys, for whatever reason, don't. Well, so you've been really generous with your time. I appreciate it. Um, the last thing is, and this, I saw this tweet literally five minutes before we came on and it's, and it's from Danny Vietti. Uh, and he says the Atlanta Braves have spent a total of 3 million this off season on free agents, third fewest in the MLB. They are still expected to be a title contender. That's incredible. Mets have spent 107 million. Phillies have spent 307, uh, 397 million. My question is when you look at this off season, did it sort of pan out like you thought it would? Like if you, if I told you those were the numbers, three million compared to one hundred. I think it's high. I think oh. the only guaranteed contract we've given is Jordan Luplo at one point four million. Oh, really? Sign guys to make major league contracts, but they're non guaranteed. So uh, Nick Anderson was a non guaranteed deal. Jackson Stevens, those are forty man contracts, so they are major league free agent contracts. And I'm not. Okay. It's not. A, I'm not saying it as a. Just correcting the actual no, no, no. It's, it's, so again, it's, it's, I'd, I'd be it's happy fair. if we're listed at 100 million. Um, but just from a factual standpoint, right? And again, it's not we didn't go in there thinking by design. It's look, one part of it is when we have players under control, the goal is to have as few holes as you can. Now, we still have issues, of course, we're not flawless by any stretch, and we definitely didn't come off winning the World Series. Um, but a lot of positions are 
we have we have guys for those spots that we're committed to. Now, some guys are coming off down years and so on, but they are on the books. They do have guaranteed contracts. We're going to give them opportunities. So I think when you look around the diamond and the rotation and the bullpen, there's not that much there's not that much room for competition, even the fifth spot in the rotation. Ian Anderson and Soroka right now are the front runners to win that job. Now we'll have Bryce Elder, we'll have Colby Allard as well, but all four of those guys have options, and they're going to be competing to get that spot. So does that mean we wouldn't add a starter? Not necessarily, but how much better is that starter we bring in from the outside? Take away the opportunity of one of those young guys to win that spot. I mean, but, but, I, mean I think that's the player. ultimate. I mean, I think what he's saying is the ultimate compliment. I mean, for what exactly what you said is that is that you don't know what's going to happen. I know that right. you're going to say that you don't know what's going to happen, but still, the fact is that you were able to have that foundation, and you look at the the extensions that you signed to sort of reinforce that foundation. And and I'm this isn't even knock on the Mets for spending you know 107 or or Phillies for spending 397. Maybe like they get the guys and then they do this right, and the next thing you know they're they're just reinforcing their foundation. I just it's it's just been all like a, a very very interesting offseason. Yeah, I wasn't. I mean, look, we've definitely explored some things, um, but it's challenging because we have guys in place. But look, I'd say this: I know it's you know our payroll is still in the top ten. I don't know where it's going to rank after the offseason, but at least I know at the end of the season we were eighth, I think. So we are in the top ten. So we climbed. I think when I got to Atlanta uh, for twenty eighteen season, being my first, I think we were twenty first or twenty second in payroll. So as attendance has continued to climb, as our chairman. Chairman Gurk's, you know, allocated more to the payroll. And we've climbed and we've gotten into the top 10, which is a big achievement here. So, again, we can't keep these guys and extend all these guys if our payroll isn't climbing the way it is. And on the flip side of it is, you know, we drew over 3 million fans. Capacity is 3.2. We are just over 3.1. We're practically selling out almost every night. So there's a lot of things going right currently. Now that's coinciding with winning. I also realize that a one bad season, one down year, all that could change fast. So uh, we're not, you know, that isn't lost on us. And that's where having all these commitments can go the other way, right? If all of a sudden guys aren't performing, um, guys are getting hurt, you're locked into the, all these contracts and these dollars, you're in a tough spot. So um, I'm not trying to sound glass half empty, but there is a trade-off. <laughs> when it's going well and guys are playing great, phenomenal. Everyone's excited and happy. But we've seen it. We've seen it happen with MVPs and All-Stars where for whatever reason, things don't continue. So um, my job is to worry. Uh, I think every GM in sports <laughs> will tell you the same thing, especially when you got the Phillies, the Mets, the Washington Nationals are going to rebuild quick. They've already done it. They've been successful. They've got a World Series to show for it. The Marlins continue to get better and have a great young young core. This division's tough. You know, I thought I left the AL East and it was going to be a bit of a break. I think the AL East is now as tough, if not harder, than the years I was in the AL East. Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think I, I love that conversation. Who is the best division? And yeah, I mean, it was always the AL East. And well, look, I understand people in the AL East will say that. And I definitely said it too. But now living through um, what we had, what we've had these last few years, and it's, they're all really well-run teams. Uh, the payrolls are climbing. It, it's a challenge, and it's a challenge each year. And every year I keep thinking, how are we going to get back to the playoffs? So, you know, it's credit to the manager, the coaches, and the players that we find a way every year to get back there. Well, you found a way to get work done in a car and for two and a half weeks yeah. in Montreal. Uh, oh, you, found, you found a way for me to actually entertain the idea that potato chips and ketchup are a thing. Um, yeah, that's right. Is, is there that's anything? Right. Is there anything that you can't do, Alex? <laughs> yeah, right. One of my great goals in life. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate you taking the time. All right, Rob. Enjoy doing it.